Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Lloyd. And we are the Knights of Entertainment, a podcast covering your favorite and unknown movies, games, comic books, anime, and more weekly. We appreciate you being here and hope you enjoy the show. This is what we are covering tonight. We are going over Season 3 of Overlord and doing a recap of that. Uh, next week we'll have Season 4 and we will be done with it. Uh, but before we do, like, share, and subscribe to the channel. You can enjoy the show on YouTube, Spotify, Rumble, Odyssey, and more. We also have membership tiers on those platforms if you'd like to support the channel, or you can check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash KOE podcast. Can I, on a side note, just say how weird the show even Stevens was? I agree. Like, looking back at it now as an adult, I'm like, that show was, <laughs> like, it might, if those, those people that grew up watching even Stevens, might, it might explain a lot of your uh, mental state and, and uh, sense of humor. I mean, if you if you grew up watching South Park too, so I did not. I grew up watching even Stevie's. <laughs> My palate hadn't matured enough for South Park, or Family Guy, <laughs> or. But uh, something about even Stevens as a kid, I was like, like this is like it was subversively funny, you know, mm-hmm. like because Shia LaBeouf's character now, like, resonates more as an adult than it did when you watched it as a kid. Yeah. It's always the, the, the truly unique characters that just resonate with you forever, and you'll always remember. And you'll and I just I I gotta see if I can find that show on TV somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah, maybe Paramount Plus has. They have a lot of Nickelodeon stuff. Or was it watch Disney? Watch. I think it was Disney. No, watch Tubi's got it. If Tubi has Even Stevens, you'll be hearing every episode of Even Stevens. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I, I wish they hadn't had that rule about like only sixty something episodes of series or some shit. Yeah, I think so. That was a stupid Disney rule. Now, on another side note, did you notice that the Nickelodeon stars didn't ever become uh, as fucked up as the Disney stars? I had no idea. I mean, look at Britney Spears. I think I did. <laughs> she made me believe that we were more than just friends. Oh, I figured, <laughs> I figured it was just because you were toxic. <laughs> oh, baby, can't you see? <laughs> You know what's funny? Like, I'm not much of, like, I'm not even saying, like, I don't, I hate, like, I hate Britney Spears. Like, yeah. I'm not, like a, like, a huge fan of her music, but some of her songs just get you. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but I, I just be like, I'll be sitting in the car like, oh, baby, can't you see? <laughs> I just can't help it. That girl knows her music. Uh, well, it's by a, uh, a guy like you should come with a warning. Well, remember, they were all written by a Swedish songwriter. So, well, whoever that person is, you are talented. <laughs> He's still around, I think. Making songs. Like <laughs> Super famous, too. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> episode one. <laughs> to change subjects completely. I was on a completely different genre of a content. Yes, absolutely. Uh, again, season three has thirteen episodes, the same as every other season of Overlord. I do love, I do love when it's perfect. It's always nice. Anything that's offsetting drives me to madness. <laughs> uh, episode one is called "A Ruler's Melancholic." Uh, we start off uh, following the events in Riestes. Eines has some of his floor guardians take the day off. It's kind of a, a little bit of a filler episode. Uh, oh, it is? A little bit. Uh, it still gives you different information about different characters, but... Like the one Dragon Ball Z filler episode when Goku and Piccolo try to get the driver's license. Yeah. And I, I still, that. And I still, to this day, have never seen. You still haven't seen that one? I don't think it showed it on Cartoon Network for some reason. 
They may have not. Because, like, it would just, like... It is a very funny it, it episode. Was, it would show, like, the, the preview at the end of the last episode, mm-hmm. but then it would skip over to the next episode after that. I'm like, what the fuck? Really? But being a kid, I never really noticed. Hmm. Yeah, because I remember that episode. It was fucking hilarious. I watched Frieza get, like... Uh, I watched Goku go Super Saiyan for, like, 57 episodes. Yeah. Like, they, that first... That Frieza saga lasted forever. <laughs> the end of it? My God. And that's the one thing I do like about uh, Overlord and a couple of the others is that there's not really chiller episodes. Because Bleach had them, Naruto had them. One Piece has very few of them. Yeah, I was surprised. I think if I... Compared to the width of One Piece that has such little one uh, uh, episodes. I think this was like 10% only. Yeah, it's wild, yeah. Bleach had like 44%. Oh my God. And then Naruto had like 40. Jesus, that's a lot of filler. Yeah, that was a lot of filler for the anime. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all taking the day off. Uh, the ladies, Albedo, Shaltir, and Aura, spend time by the sixth floor lake where Albedo learns that she cannot ride her bicorn due to her being a pure maiden. To ride a bicorn, you have to basically be a slut. Be a her. Yeah. <laughs> she's pure. Yeah, she better get busy then. She's a succubus and she's never... Psyched a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> to the other two, shock. They're like, huh? You're a succubus and you've never... <laughs> like their vaginas are all worn out. <laughs> uh, while Ainz sends a memo to the male floor guardians to meet later at the bathhouse gathering for relaxation and stuff like that. I like to see, like, the word, the memo. I like, it's just, like, a letter. It is a piece of paper. This fucking rips it up when I was in. The random mailman going up from one floor to the other. Oh, no, he makes them uh, hand it off to each other. So, like, it's secret. Wow. I think a little mailman would be hilarious. <laughs> Got your man here. Oh, six. Uh, later on, as Ainz is in his personal quarters practicing his overla- uh, overlord posturing, so he's practicing how to be the overlord, overlord where he's telling, like, uh, he's standing in front of a mirror saying, I demand silence. <laughs> since, his, since his real personality is not an overlord, right. he's just a normal person, he's having to put on this act still of... Because he still thinks that if he if they ever found out that he's not really this, like, uh, extremely dangerous overlord, that they might kill him. So he's been putting on this act this whole time because he doesn't know how they're going to react. So he's in his room practicing that. Uh, he exits to meet with Mare and Albedo. But after a heartfelt admission of joy over having them in his life, Albedo succumbs to her lust and tries to have sex with Ainz in his office. She basically jumps on top of him and almost rapes him. Hmm. It's very odd. Do we have a? Does he have a penis? I don't think so. That's a lot. It's, hard, it's a lot harder for her to think that. <laughs> uh, just crushing down, just crushes his pelvis. Like, oh my pelvis! <laughs> and it's with the total efforts of all the guards and Mare that uh, <laughs> not only that not only the, the gay guardians, but the seventeen celestial guardians. Yeah, they gave hundred and sixty-seven thousand angels had to stop. <laughs> The ripper vagina off of his face. They had to remove her, yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, in the evening, the men are relaxing in the small house. You got thirsty, but then you got thirsty. And she is very, very, very thirsty. Girl is dry. She's so thirsty. <laughs> Just a shriveled hussy. <laughs> uh, so in the evening of that same day, the men are relaxing in the spa house, but they hear Albedo blatantly try to climb the wall. 
because they're like, uh, uh, Lord Hines is in the other side, and she's trying to climb over. Like, you know, fucking punch through the sky, <laughs> and then boom! Well, they're making fun of her because they're saying, God, you're hairy. <laughs> the, the women on the other side of the wall of the small house. She got a lot of... I would assume so. Nice. And she stomps whenever it, like whenever they come into the, the bathhouse area, all you hear is stomping from her because she's Jeez. still heavy. <laughs> uh, and whenever she climbs... Did they do that T-Rex scene? <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park? <laughs> the coffee to love. Get vibrating? No, if I remember right, the water shakes. Like the pool. Sometimes I like when they do references from other movies. It's always hilarious to me. Yeah. Like, I mean, they do the Yamcha <laughs> crater defeat everywhere. Yeah, they do that a lot. They have besmirched that man's poor names <laughs> across every multiverse of... Uh... And he's never been able to redeem himself. You seen that weird, like, uh, uh, like popularity list on, like, the, the most popular white-haired uh, characters in anime? And number two is Zoro. With his green hair, right? Like, <laughs> that's the point. That's the point. <laughs> Is that not great? I think, like, I did that one from uh, that that Juju something, the the oh, Juju guys and the yeah. Goda guy, Gojo. He's like one, and then there's Zoro's man underneath. That's Zoro for you, and then it's usually the old man. That all have the gray hair or white Like, hair. you know, you got Kakashi, you got, like, everyone with white hair. But, like, Zaro's number two. <laughs> it's like that. It's like, it's, I think it's like a double thing. Like, it's like the fact that Zaro's just that popular mm-hmm. and that the joke is that he, he always ends up in the wrong place because he doesn't right. have the right, lost the right <laughs> thing. He's in a white hair. Yeah. Green, green hair, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It's a very good joke, though. It's like he does, because he's always, his direction's so bad. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, when Albedo tries to blatantly climb the wall, uh, the defense golem, programmed by Lucifer, which was one of the guild members of the time, cool. attacks them for lacking bathing manners. From bathing, so you have to have like uh, etiquette, set of, uh, segregated bathrooms. Yes, or uh, bath houses. Bath houses, yeah, like the the uh, hot spring type bath houses. Speaking of within the guild. Speaking about bathhouses, this is my my vault of uh, random knowledge. So, uh, uh, what's his name? Hugh Jackman was at the you know he was in Japan doing the 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 Wolverine movie, right? Yeah. And he was at a, at one of those male bathhouses, and he didn't know that the etiquette was to be covered. So, uh, him being you know fucking like six four, Hugh Jackman, right? Just jacked to the gills. He's just walking around. Ass naked with a tiny towel in his hand, right? Uh-huh. Dick just swinging, and just all the Japanese are like, ah, ah. <laughs> and he didn't know. <laughs> so he's just, he's got his dick just fucking dangling for every person. He like, I guess they thought, or he thought that they thought that he was trying to show off, but he, he, he just, you know, he assumed like you can just be butt naked in a male uh, sauna. So he was. See, Japanese bathhouses and Korean bathhouses are just a little different. What's the difference? Uh, a lot of the uh, Korean ones, it's more of like just going completely ass naked. Yeah, Japan is a little more, a uh, little reserved. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the point that I'm having a bathhouse then? Like once you get into the water, it's fine. No, but your su- etiquette says that you're not supposed to just walk around with it. Just well, he, he sure was <laughs> just knocking Japanese men back and forth, buckle out of his way. How random would it be if you're just sitting right and you you turn your left and Wolverine's dick just comes across your like what the fuck that was Wolverine's guy 
<laughs> you know what I mean? How weird would that be? That'd be very awkward. And I see you have goals. No, just ambitions. <laughs> Don't want to say dreams. So after uh, Lucifer's uh, golems start attacking, Ayn's orders the male floor guardians to help the ladies, internally hoping next time they will have more time to relax. And that's how the episode ends right there. That's it. We're getting ready, getting up for battle, basically. They attack the, the golems. <laughs> because you hear all the stomping and everything yeah. from Albedo on the other side still. Uh, episode two is titled Carne Village Once More. So, uh, Ainz brings together the NPCs to review the grand plan overall with Demiurge recounting. Uh, when they, <laughs> when really he just wants to learn of de the demon's thought process to begin with. So he puts them all together acting like, yes, yes, Demiurge, tell him your plan that I already know. Even though he has no fucking clue what the plan is. <laughs> like, I know how, uh, quantum mechanics work, but how about you explain it to me? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, it is revealed that all the NPCs are planning world domination, with Ions completely oblivious to this. So he's finally getting told that they're they're planning for world domination. Oh yeah, because he didn't say like some random off-hand comment. Yeah, it's just like... They just assumed. Yeah, pretty much, yes. <laughs> uh, as Demiurge states, this was Ions' goal all along, ascertained by his actions, starting with Carnet Village, being subjugated with no casualties, and having the residences... Uh, living peacefully the entire time. And they should let me do the the, the English voiceover, right? Because <laughs> he would say that, right? And then I would do like the internal mall, like, fuck. In the anime itself, they do have the double voice. So they have him talking and then they have him like, uh? And I would be like, oh, uh. no. <laughs> <laughs> like completely just has no idea. He's like, when did they say this? <laughs> Um, thus, it meant Ainz wanted world domination and experimenting on ruling his subjects. Meanwhile, at Carne Village, Neferia, which was the pharmacist from season one, mm -hmm. is uh, spending entire nights developing a potion for Ainz. And that was the whole thing that he wanted him to do in that village now. So they moved him from the city that he was in where he was attacked by Clementine huh? and uh, the, uh, the Swords of Darkness killed. So, Ainz had him move to Carne Village with that girl that he likes. What's the potion for? Uh, healing potion. They're trying to re or research any kind of new potions. Okay. Things that they haven't ever created before. Have you ever heard of meth? <laughs> <laughs> it's crystal clear. A princess blew us the sky. Well, apparently that's something that uh, they fucked up in uh, Breaking Bad, is it made the meth blue, and that means that there's impurities. I think they changed it, like, uh... Because they couldn't show actual... Um, like, they wanted it to uh, to be more visible on screen and, like, a hook, basically. The blue sky? Yeah. Because blue meth. Because te technically, according to... Back blue, 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 green, purple, whatever it is. Give me this. I love Tuco. <laughs> um, let's see here... So, uh, with Enri, uh, she is caring for the goblin troop as they teach and protect the village. So, she's treating them as residents rather than just summoned monsters, basically, because they have intelligence and they can communicate like normal people. So, she treats them like normal people. They don't have like a Meeseeks complex. Well, Meeseeks has been alive for too long. No. Our existence is no. torches. <laughs> it's cruelty. And the goblin troop is totally different than Goblin Slayer. So, they're not doing that kind of stuff. 
I'm surprised no one's done a, uh, uh, there's a, so, you know how the Meeseeks and Rick and Morty say, uh, look at me? Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. Meeseeks, look at me. And you know the scene in uh, The Dark Knight where uh, uh, the Joker's like, uh, tells that one fake Batman, like, look at me. Yeah. That would have been, that would have done an overlap where it would be Mr. Meeseeks' voice, look at me, I'm Mr. Meeseeks. And then it would cut to <laughs> the look at the last one. Yeah. As like a cutoff of the last one would be the, the Joker's, but the first would be the Meeseeks. Yeah. I don't know, my brain works just it can't stop sometimes. <laughs> that would be funny. Like, I'm Mr. Meesey. Look at me. Look at, look at me. <laughs> uh, so, all right, you have uh, Henry has given names to each of the goblins at this point. So, so they all. Louie, Louie, Louie. Uh, the only new resident to the village is Britta, which was the adventurer that uh, Shaltier had caught and seen that she had a potion in season one as well. Mm hmm. Uh, who has quit as an adventurer after surviving her encounter with Shaltier. Took an arrow to the knee. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> uh, after running low on med- uh, medicinal herbs. Damn, where the fuck is Elder Scrolls 6? Six? six Elder Scrolls and six GTA and neither one have ever taken like 45 years to make. And neither one of them is ever going to come out. It sure feels like it <laughs> at this point. So after running low on medical herbs, uh, or medicinal herbs, Henry... The girl, uh, Neferia, and three goblins search the forest for the said herb. Finding a growing patch, uh, they see a wounded hobgoblin child being hunted by a barguest. So, what's a barguest? It is a wolf type creature with chains around its neck that's almost like phantom ish. Oh, a hellhound? Kind of, yeah. It's cool. So, the goblins support, uh, is supported by Neferia, kill the dark beast, saving the child. Neferia uses the experimental purple potion to fully heal the uh, goblin child named Agu, the uh, hobgoblin boy. You know how I know if it was not a child, I wouldn't, something would comedic would have probably happened. They take the potion, and if the goblin, like adult, yeah. just like he just bursts it. <laughs> like he just, like his gut just explodes or something. Or bursts into flames. Like, oh shit. <laughs> she takes out her notebook and just marks off that recipe. That one's not going to work. <laughs> Uh, they ask Agu what he's running from, basically, and uh, he explains that he was attacked by minions of the Giant of the East, who has allied himself with the Demon Snake of the West. This shifts the balance of power, threatening the village itself. Damn. Because the village is close to that forest. Stuck in the middle of an ass woman. Yeah, pretty much. You find that, uh, basically, after the wise king of the forest, which is the hamster, yeah, he was the third of that group. Oh. So you have the giant of the east, the snake of the west, and then you have the uh, the wise king of the forest. There were, like, three competing powers within that forest. East-west? What was the hamster, north or south? He was the middle. Oh. So what's north and south? There are, I guess there are no north and south. God damn, come on, overlord, don't do that to me. <laughs> You have an east and west or something. You have a north and south as well. Oh, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> and that's just a fuck with you. Basically, it seems like it. Uh, and after uh, he, you get the explanation from Agu, that's how the episode ends for for episode two. Okay. Uh, episode three is called Henry's Upheaval and Hectic Days. I like how their titles are more like uh, titles. And the one piece are just like, in this episode, uh, Ace dies. <laughs> <laughs> like God did it. Uh, so you have Enri, Neferia again, and the Goblin Troop. They bring Agu back to the Carne village to inform them of the situation of the Grey Forest. Some time ago, the Monument of Ruin was being built and uh, guarded by undead, 
So this is basically the uh, the fake Nazarek that was being built. Oh. That's what it's alluding to anyway. And after the great beast of the south, so that I guess he is the south, was Hamsky. There we go, south. There is no the north. No north, that better make one. <laughs> but uh, that was after he vanished. The giant of the east allied himself with the demon snake of the west to defeat whoever this master of the undead may be. Taking into account a possible threat, Britta goes to inform the vigilante committee to ready evacuation procedures, while Nefiria asks Lupus Regina, which is the um, one of the battle maids of Nazarek, she, uh, Ainz basically had uh, Lupus Regina stay close to the village to kind of guard it. Like, she was its overseer for the most part. So if anything super bad happened, she could defend the village. Okay. So uh, he goes to... Uh, let uh, Lupus Regina know to deliver the purple potion to Ainz with a progress report. While Lupus uh, nominates to ask Ainz uh, for aid, Henry believes they should do uh, work on their own efforts first. Like try to try to actually defend themselves first before getting Ainz's help, because they don't need to be bothering Ainz for every little thing anymore. After the meeting, the Goblin Troop warn Agu not to trust Lupus Regina, because they look at her like she's dangerous. So it's like, you stay as far away from her as you can. They don't know that she's part of Nazarek in that kind of, like, evil way or anything, but they know that the vibe she gives off, uh, that she's more dangerous than she lets on. At night, the uh, the goblin troop finds the rest of Agu's tribe and a group of ogres, one goblin, uh, Jurgum, instructs Enri to act as an alpha and make them submissive, which works, and they swear their loyalty. She basically goes out there and tells him that uh, she's the leader of that village and she's like the strongest person there. And she's so like uh, aggressive in it. It's like, she's mean. You told him that's with her because they're dumb and they're dumb creatures. So to her, she walks away, kicks one of the balls. And then it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> she's aggressive. <laughs> The other one's like, God, they just land. <laughs> As the survivors need medical treatment, Nefiria may stay up all night while Enri goes to Erantel in the morning. Arriving at the main gate, her goblin general Horn is detected and is about to be put into custody. So whenever she goes to Erantel, they see that she has that goblin horn on her and it's like, how can a lowly woman such as you have such a great expensive item? Which is, was given to her by Ainz in the beginning. So uh, they have her in custody in this guard tower trying to interrogate her basically until Momon arrives to vouch for her and she was released. Because he was like, oh, shit, I gave him. <laughs> but at this point, he looks like Momon, the Raven Black Warrior, and not as Einzel Gone, the, the mage. He, he pulls one of the guards aside, and then they come running back in. Let her go. Let her go. Hey, bro, she's gone. <laughs> as Henry goes about her day, Momon covertly allows her uh, to ask the Adventurer's Guild for aid uh, with the trouble in the forest. After a hectic day, Enri meets her goblin troop, and she offers new weapons out of thanks for all they have done for her village, with the troop in a state of intense gratitude afterwards. Upon return, Enri is voted as the new village chief, which she really doesn't want, but it's like, oh, you got the goblin troop, you, you can take care of it. Uh, but she's taken aback and consults Lupus Regina and Nefiria. After a self-reflective talk with Nefiria, Enri decides to accept the position. Over the village high above, Lupus Regina is met by Yuri Alpha, another of the battle maids, uh, for summons by Ainz. When asked while she is smi uh, smiling, 
Luke Pesardina answers that the village's uh, dynamic has shifted, and she would love to see the faces of all the residents in the whole village if it were to be burned down, hoping to see the village destroyed. Damn. Yeah, she's a very she's a sadist. Like she wants to see their faces whenever everything that they have is just ruined, even though she's not the one doing it. <laughs> she just wants to see it happen. So then we go into episode four, called "The Giant of the East, Demon Snake of the West." Uh, Ainz reprimands uh, reprimands Lupus Regina for her failure to report on Carne Village, because even though she had known about this uh, about the Demon Snake of the uh, uh, the Demon Snake of the West, and then the uh, the Giant of the East. They already she knew about it, but she didn't inform Ainz at all. The only way Ainz found out about it is whenever Enri went to the Irantel and gave the the request from the Adventurers Guild for something to be done about it. So he's kind of mad at her about this. Bitch. <laughs> Lupus Regina states that she did not think it was important, but Ainz informs her of Nefuria's value, the pharmacist, and basically uh, it says that. He's uh, ordered him to create new potions, and he'd kind of like him to be alive at this point since they're in this new world. It's like, we don't know what he can create. I can't make meth if my chemist is dead. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and he orders her to protect uh, Nefiria, Henry, and Lizzie, and Lizzie being Nefiria's uh, grandmother. So he wants those three protected at all costs. Afterwards, Ainz and Aura... Go find the Giant of the East and the Demon Snake of the West to see what sort of monsters they are. They discover the Giant is a large troll named Goo. <laughs> and it's funny because the uh, the Giants, they all think that the longer your name is, the less powerful you are. So the shorter your name, the more powerful you are. So whenever he introduces himself as Einzel Go, and he's like, <laughs> Long name. His name Goo. <laughs> And the and, and I just rips his dick to his asshole. He's like, "Oh shit!" Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and the demon snake is a naga named uh, Ryu Raga. Uh, God, I'm gonna fuck this name up. Ryu Raga. No, Ryu uh, Rias. That's too many R's. It's too many R's. Ainz offers them to submit or die. Ryu Rias quickly complies. After failing to escape with uh, Aura holding him by the neck and pinning him down to the ground. Because it's like this, it's this little girl holding this big-ass snake monster Naga down. However, Goo refuses and the two duel. Goo's attacks... So through... the, who, who summons what first? You yuck. He said duel. I play pot of greed. In defense mode. It gives me two cards. Did I play pot of greed? <laughs> Just win. Gives me two more cards. Now I play Pottergree. That's why I got banned. They got it banned the shit out of that card. <laughs> uh, Goose attacks prove ineffective. Where he's just uh, smacking him with a sword over and over and over. It's like literally doing shit. You got Ainz dusting himself off oh! the entire time. And you even have Goo turn around and uh, slash one of the other uh, the other giants behind him. And just slash him in half. He's like, sword works. It's like, because he can't figure out, because he can't understand. <laughs> Why, Goo? <laughs> and Ainz neutralizes him and the remaining trolls and ogres. Afterwards, Ainz has Demiurge review the menu for a dinner Ainz is planning when Ainz is informed that the village is under attack and gives Lupus Regina permission to engage. And that's how episode four ends. Uh, episode five is called Two Leaders. This, uh, Two Leaders? 
Two liters. No, I had to say two liter. A liter like one. No, two liters of one. <laughs> two liters. No, we mean we need more uh, methylamine to make more meth. <laughs> People, not uh, volume. <laughs> uh, it starts off with uh, Goose forces beginning to attack Carne Village, while the Goblin Troop, Allied Ogres, and the Vigilante Committee prepare to defend the village. The Romanian villagers take shelter. As the battle begins at the front gate, Enri and Neferia search the village to ensure everyone is safe whenever they see a troll climbing over the rear gate. So while everybody else is up front, there's a troll climbing in at the back. To prevent the troll from fighting the hidden villagers, the two distract it by disguising their odor. So uh, Neferia has a, like, cologne stuff that he can use that he puts on both of them and it can distract the, the troll, basically, because trolls have to get sense of smell. And then he throws one right at its nose, burns the and this other uh, this other kind of potion. It's like an acid, I guess. But he hits the the troll right in the face with it on the nose, and kind of like nose blinds him. Yeah. So, uh, however, the troll catches on eventually, and Neferia tells Enri to run for help and confesses his love for her. Finally, Neferia continues to fight the troll while Enri gets back up. However, he is overwhelmed by the troll's strength. Just before the troll is about to kill him, Lupus Regina appears and kills the troll instead. She basically just holds her staff above after she just kills this motherfucker. Just stands there, like, smiling with that crazy sadist smile that she has. The battle at the gate also ends successfully, and Lupus Regina informs uh, Neferia and Enri of Ainz's invita uh, invitation for them to come to dinner to Nazareth. So Ainz is actually inviting Neferia, Enri, and Enri's little sister to actually come to Nazarek at this point because nobody else has been invited yet. Uh, episode six called Invitation to Death. Okay. <laughs> right after he just invites him. Invitation to death. Go on down for dinner. Come on down. It's just death. I'll kill you. <laughs> so uh, the royal maid. Yes. The royal mage of the Baharuth Empire, Fluter Paradine, is told that the adamantite adventurers of darkness, Momon and Nabe, wish to meet him. Meanwhile, a worker group, Foresight, prepares to take on a mission exploring, a, exploring an undiscovered tomb within the borders of the Riestes Kingdom, which is the kingdom that Irantel and Carne Village are in. The mission appears to be a well-paying, albeit dangerous, uh, but they have accepted it since uh, one of their members, a mage named Arch, needs money to take her two little sisters and escape her heavily in debt parents who refuse to cut back on their spending. Welcome to reality. Yes. <laughs> Dad. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, what's surprising is okay, the, in this world, there are guild members and there are worker members. Guild members are part of a, a guild, obviously. So they take missions that the guild provides, but if anything ever happens, the guild usually has their back. Whereas workers don't have to follow anybody's rules, but they also have to fend for themselves. Ah. So it's more of like independence versus like community. A union and then not a union? Yeah, basically. And that's a very good way to look at it though. Uh, they meet up with three other worker groups, uh, Green Lead, Heavy Masher, and Tinmu. They have all been hired by a noble of the Baharuth Empire. What do workers normally do? Or they just choose whatever jobs they want. They basically do what a, a, an adventurer would do, but they don't have the responsibilities that an adventurer does. But they also don't get the benefits. Like, uh, if something goes wrong, they can't fall back on the guild. 
So just to change his name, Jose Gonzalez and <laughs> Rodrigo. <laughs> that just, that'll shame your undocumented working visit. Uh, they're hired by a noble of the Baja Ruth Empire, who has also hired Momon and Nabe as extra protection. So he's brought in adventurers to help these workers out. Interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, but he also hired him because they're adamantite adventurers, like they're high, high level people. Uh, just before they set off on the job, Momon inquires as the reason why all the workers have agreed to this mission to go look for this tomb. To which they say, money. Well, well why would, it's weird. Why would the nobleman hire the workers if it's such an important mission that he would hire someone of higher uh, caliber? To protect them. But why will they get there? Yeah, that's a, that's the jive of, if I was a worker, but they say jive with me at all. <laughs> if this is important to me, you wouldn't hire a worker. You'd hire the uh, the guild. Yeah. I, I don't want this job now. Well, the Baja Ruth Empire doesn't have the Adventurers Guild, uh, only workers. Oh. Uh, Whereas the uh, Riestes Kingdom, they have. They would have still, still set off alarms in my head. Yeah. Now, you, you know, all of a sudden, you, you want to protect the workers that are basically. Un- unskilled labor, <laughs> and, uh, or like throw away. You know what I mean? Like you just hire, like throw a stone. You you hit a worker. Yeah. You you hire another level of explorers to protect the workers. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't jive with me at all. Yeah, and Sherlock Cap would come on. And like whenever you have Eisel uh, going basically in the form of Momon, the Black Warrior, guarding them. Whenever he asks the workers, it's like, so so why are you deciding to go to this tomb? To this newly discovered tomb and rate it. Dinero, senor. Yeah. And then he looks at me like, a truly worthless question to ask then. Like, it just, because he was trying to, like, are you doing it out of adventure? Or are you doing it out of, like, some other reason? I got 57, I got 57 kids back. I got, I need some, I need the baseball homes, basically. And <laughs> uh, that's how that episode ends. Up. I mean, that one worker that would escape, because there ain't no goddamn way. I would trust his normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you also, again, you met the this uh, worker group, because instead of adventure group, it's a worker group uh, called Foresight, though. So you have the warrior, you have an elf girl, you have a little uh, maiden girl that's trying to get her money for her sisters to leave with her, completely away from this noble family. And then you have a cleric, <laughs> where it's like, you meet this whole group and you get their backstory and everything, and then we move into episode seven called just "Butterfly Entangled in the Spider's Web." Just shred into pieces, all of them. What? Oh, it gets bad. Uh, the workers they arrive at Nazarek because that's the tomb that they found, obviously. So they're <laughs> they're walking into death automatically, and briefly explore the outside and discover immense riches. So Einzel Gone has basically left stuff out there in the, the outside, like uh, mausoleums and stuff like that. He left money out there. Like, here's your money. Take it. A red flag, too. Exactly. They just money just here, and no one's yeah. ever taken it. Nobody's ever messed with it. No traps or nothing? I'm done, done leaving. But being the greedy people that they are, they all decide to move deeper inside. I value one thing above all. Well, I value two things above <laughs> about all uh, money and all. Yeah. My dick and my life. <laughs> Which one comes first? My dick. As long as my dick works, I gotta be completely comatose. <laughs> if if I find like there's something about it is offset, right, or like something is in my head not like meshing, like it just alarms going off, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm getting out of there with my dick in my life. <laughs> like if I lose my dick, I I just lost my life basically. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm such a freak. 
And all these, all that money would not be enough for me to stay. Well, like at this point, you could take that money and leave. But that, it would say, like, be like, why is it just here? Is what right. would be my like. There's no fucking way I'm touching it. Like, nah. even if it was, you know, if we're not allowed to. Right. Like, what if it was to like? Is it poison? Is it cursed? Right. Is it gonna set off a trap? Just leave regardless. It's like fuck this. I'm out. I'm done. I'm gonna go find a hooker and get some banging and be done with my day. But apparently, these are the, the workers were not that smart. So they decided well, they need me. They decided to go further into the tomb, except for the green leaf workers, because it's an older, uh, an older warrior. Where oh, actually, like, no, yeah, the older ones are always the ones that are. He's like the ones that are stayed alive longer. The ones that know more. You know what I mean? Yeah. He uh, he's basically he stays out. He, he tells the other worker group, he's like, yeah, you know, I'll let y'all go ahead and go in there. He's like, um, but if we can find a quicker route, we'll we'll take that cut instead. Like the cut of the money that they find and stuff like that. He's like, but for us letting you go in first, we want a percentage of whatever you find. And they're all, oh, yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine. We agree to that. So <laughs> he decides to stay outside as a guard and looks for other uh, to look for other routes inside while also secretly using those other groups as canaries. Yeah, I assume he was. He's like, he's not that stupid. He's me, except more cruel. Mm-hmm. Much more. Uh, inside of Nazarek, the groups are uh, quickly separated in their eagerness to find more treasure. So they kind of break up because they think, oh, it's just skeletons. This ain't shit. It's all low-level skeletons coming at them. For the, like, it's basically just cannon fodder that Ein's, that, uh, sorry, not that Ein's created, but the uh, the Tomb of Nazarek automatically spawns low-level skeletons and stuff like that that he puts nothing to. It just generates them. So that's what they mean. Is these low level nobody characters in the beginning? <laughs> you know what caused my distrust of everything is when I find too much ammunition in Resident Evil. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> a lot of shotgun shells all of a sudden for some reason, <laughs> and then right into the next thing is a boss fight. Yep. So outside, Greenleaf encounters the Pleiades. So him staying outside still didn't help him any because the Pleiade battle may just come out. I gotta fuck my way out of this. <laughs> It's going to fuck my way out. Uh, but instead of them engaging directly, they summon a series of powerful undead warriors called Nazarek Old Guarders. Damn, I got to fuck my way out of this again. <laughs> it's basically skeletons with magical weapons. Like, in, or enchanted weapons, I guess you could say. Like, where they're just infused with magic itself. So you have a, there's even a hammer that's like a Thor's hammer. Where one of the skeletons hits you with it and just lightning damage automatically. You ever play Tales of Iron? <laughs> You ever heard of that in the game? Yeah. There's a Thor character in that game with a Thor hammer. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a secret boss. Oh, really? It's a fucking douchebag. <laughs> uh, they basically make quick work of the worker group, slaughtering all of them. Heavy Masher is chased by a number of Elder Liches, which is uh, one of the other worker groups that went inside that has a dwarf character. So me. Uh, before the members uh, it, it basically can die by these Elder Liches, they run into different rooms that has a magic teleportation circle on it. Mm-hmm. So they go in and get transported automatically. So this is what I was talking about uh, so many episodes back when we were talking about uh, the, the areas and stuff like that and the different area guardians. So this is where you meet uh, Kyohoku, <laughs> the the Roach King. Oh, that one guy, yeah. yeah. And you also meet uh, Neronus Painkiller. The uh, Cthulhu chick. Yeah. yeah, that's where you meet her too. So in one of them, uh, some of them are transported to the Black Capsule, which is the area that Kyohuko is, where they are fed to cockroaches 
the family of the area guardian Kyohuko. Jesus. Then there's another member that is teleported to the torture chamber and tortured by Nurana's painkiller and presumably is dead. Basically, the first thing that uh, she's like, oh, I'm more beautiful than Albedo and all that kind of like... Delusion? <laughs> the delusion is real. <laughs> and then it pulls out uh, that little like pain tool. He's like, my creator had kidney stone once. Mm. And it's a lot of spikes on the end of it. It's like, you know where that's going? And he's like, oh, because oh. he doesn't want to die that way. And then you have uh, Tenmu, which is the other worker group. They encounter Hamski. And Hamski's in there just training with these lizards, uh, the, those lizard men. Just in there kind of training. And they, they meet up with him. Now, Tenmu is a group that has a swordsman that has three elf slaves with him. Three little uh, elf slave girls. So they come in and they see Hamski. Uh, he's training to become a warrior at this point. He's uh, trying to learn martial arts, even though it's a fucking gigantic hamster. <laughs> so after a brief fight, the leader of Tenyu, uh, Urya, Ruth. Try to learn hamfu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Instead of, uh, instead of the panda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's killed easily after hamster. Have you ever seen fucking Steven Seagal use knife work in a movie? Oh, good. good Jesus. Talk about a panda. <laughs> Try to try to learn how to fight. <laughs> panda style. Knife knife wield. <laughs> like please, Steven Gold, please I hope he does not blow. I hope he's I hope he's so smart that he is a sub like he is uh like trolling everybody by pretending to be that person. And that he does not legitimately think he's that level of lethal. I don't think we're that lucky. Like I just seeing him do that goofy knife moves. Oh my god, it's bad. It's horrendous. It's very bad. <laughs> so I uh, oh okay. So moving on, uh, Hamsky he activates his martial arts skills because he did learn martial arts. Slashing stroke, and he cuts off the warrior's two arms. God, wait, he, uh, it's a very brutal fight. She's like, oh, you shit. <laughs> With just blood squirting from his two thumbs left on his arms. And it's more his sword still being held by his two arms on the ground. Is it one of those, like, uh, like explosion blood spurts? Uh, and it's like, just, it just, how they like it? And like, uh, I guess the, a, a slight blood spurt. The, the best way I can explain it is the movie, uh, The Seven Samurai. Right. And they have a scene where... Uh, and two samurai have a duel, and it's one of those quick, like, uh, first blade out, first slice, and that's it. The, the one chop kills the one guy. Yeah. It's, like, real sudden, and they do the sequence, and uh, allegedly, it was supposed to be a quick blood out mm -hmm. from, from the, the, the capsule of the guy's uh, clothes. Yeah. But it malfunctioned, and the tube just exploded, just like a fucking fountain of blood. And uh, the director, who was so serious, they were everyone. Everyone was afraid of him. Uh, they, they thought when the malfunctioned, he was gonna lose his shit. But he burst out laughing. So that famous like huge blood spurts for movies yeah. that originated in Seven Samurai was because of a malfunction. Really? So like you know, like in uh, Kill Bill, when they're yeah. down fucking just fucking gushing, it's because of that. So that trademark of that movie is a complete accident. And now it's a, uh, it's a major trope in movies like yeah. that. 
So I just and when you said like black, I just assume I I would say it's probably halfway between there. Like there's a uh, like if you look up, like if you look up seven samurai, it was a black and white, so you don't see any like yeah, that shit was just like go go. So I was like God. <laughs> so uh, like whenever that happens to this dude, he uh, he starts screaming for his uh, three elf girls to heal him. But before he can do anything, uh, Hamsky beheads him. Hammer. With his tail. Where the tail smashes into the side of his head and he dies. So he beheads him or just cracked his dome? Uh, he knocks his head off by hitting him in the side of the head. Jesus. Like, very brutal. Uh, his elf slaves are left alone as they start to kick his body at that point. <laughs> leaving Hamsky uncertain as to what to do with them after. Because he's like, oh... Is that normal for for humans to kick you? Like he's he doesn't understand anything because he's an animal, so he might be intelligent, but he's not. Like he hasn't been around humans to understand and, their, understand the nuance of the human cr- cruelty, right? So then you have foresight, which is the group that uh, we talked about at the beginning that has the warrior, the cleric, the elf girl, and then the, uh, the girl that's wanted to take her two sisters away. They're t- uh, teleported to the sixth floor arena where they are introduced as invaders and will be facing Ainz himself. My God. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, we move into episode eight. It's called A Handful of Hope. You only get a handful of it. That's all I need. <laughs> so you have uh, Foresight tries to apologize to Ainz for trespassing into Nazarek. Uh, but Ainz rebuffs their words, refusing to listen to their excuses and declaring them to be worse than maggots for daring to enter Nazarek as thieves without permission. <laughs> the cockroach's <was> like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> the leader of Foresight, Hecaron, tries to bluff his way out of it and say they received permission from a large monster. Where uh, he's like, but, but what if we were given permission then? He's like, okay, who? Who gave you permission? No, uh, that guy. I just point someone in the crowd. Well, he's like looking around trying to find their way to escape and shit like that. But Ainz eventually does see through the lie, which enrages him further. He rages so much that uh, Shaltir and Kokaitis both like cringe in fear because he's got this black aura coming off of him and everything. Like he gets so mad that that suppressive uh, ability that he has as an elder lich, it fails to suppress it for the first couple of seconds. <laughs> Normally, it activates almost instantly, but this it actually, he is so pissed that they would discredit uh, somebody being in that world that he was looking for of, like, one of his friends or something like that, that it pisses him off so much that even that buff doesn't activate automatically. So he was, he was hoping one of them was a real person, or? He was hoping that the person that, whenever Hecaron said that somebody invited him and said that they were allowed to be there, he's thinking, okay. Oh, one of his friends? Yeah. From the old guild? Yeah, because they said, well, he was shiny. So he was thinking, touch me. Maybe it was him. <laughs> like in his, because he was just holding out hope that somebody was like from his former guild would be there. And he kind of let that lie get to him for a second. But then it just automatically pissed him off. So uh, he initially attacks them with a short, uh, sword and shield as like no shirt on or anything, just skeleton and then pants. <laughs> <laughs> but while he overwhelms them in strength, his own skill, experience, and ability to work as a team allow them to remain alive relatively unharmed. Ainz decides that he has played around enough and reveals himself as a magic caster where he's, he drops his uh, shield and his sword and he's like, come at me then if you wish to die. <laughs> uh, the Arch 
initially denies his claim until Ayn takes off his ring to show her his true power, which he has been concealing it during the physical battle itself. The impact of this reveal shocks Arch to the point where she vomits in sheer terror and Foresight once more attempts to fight back. He's like, oh my god, it's over 9,000! Yeah. He's like, <laughs> Well, it was funny too because uh, she can read your mana level. Like, she can see mana levels. It, it, like, or, uh, like your your mana flowing around you. Like, she can tell who's a spellcaster or not. So whatever he... I like to use the uh, the battle like, uh, mana. <laughs> I don't know, like, what part you've uh, seen in one movie. Uh-huh. Like, I, got, I got low levels of mana. <laughs> I'm sure I've said it a few times. <laughs> Instead of mana, I just say mana, mana. Just like mana. <laughs> but uh, she can see it, so whenever he's like, come at me if you wish to die. And he takes his shirt off like those guys in, in Street Fighters. Like, hey, come get it. <laughs> <laughs> but she sees nothing. He's like, oh, you can see magic, huh? He's like, oh, excuse me. He pulls his dick so he takes off the ring and she's like just, she can't withstand it whatsoever and so that they do try to put up a little bit of a fight uh with hecaron being eventually paralyzed by his touch of death ability level one uh <laughs> the name of the cleric is uh robert dyke robert dyke wow that has to be a player character <laughs> uh, and the elf is named uh Emina. So, Anima? Robert Dykes. <laughs> they tell Arsh to flee after Hecaron falls in order to go back to her sisters. Once she runs away, they beg, they beg Ainz to grant uh, her mercy, and he accepts. But only telling, uh, by telling Shaltir to show Arsh the depths of despair and then to kill her painlessly. Damn. It's like, there's your mercy. He then beats Robert Dyke and Emina. <laughs> completely way too easily. He just shoves Emna right out of Robert Dyke. <laughs> he keeps Robert Dyke for mental experiments. That's what he decides to do with him once he's defeated him easily. While Emina and Hecaron are given to... I'm going to fuck up this name, everybody. So, it's uh, Gasho Kuhokuko. It's a long name. A parasitic NPC. That makes their homes in people's bodies. Uh, I've talked about it as uh, the area guardians at one point. Arsh attempts to run away from Shaltir. You know what the most confusing name I can say? What's that? It's from Greek mythology. Which one? The Hecatonkeries. The Hecatonkeries? Yeah. If you see it, like, uh, on paper, you're like, what the fuck? But I learned how to say it. <laughs> like I said, I know I mispronounced that, but everybody should kind of know what that is if they've ever seen the anime or read any of the books so it's a long word but i don't figure it out i know i fucked it up i'm, I'm taking the responsibility it's fine they, they, they give you like 18 pronunciations and <laughs> comments yeah <laughs> but uh whenever arsh ran away and he said that uh Shaltu should kill her like with ease or whatever basically painlessly whenever you have robert doc he's like why would you you think that's mercy and Ainz looks at him he's like it is mercy it's like, basically, by any other thing that he could do, you're killing her painlessly and without any kind of other issues, that's like the most mercy he could possibly give, considering that Demiurge may keep her alive and constantly regrow her skin, so that way they can make scrolls. Do you just let it go? That's mercy. 
Does that one buy? <laughs> so race her memory and throw her out the front door. <laughs> so you have her running from Shaltier, and she fails whenever she discovers that she's actually underground, and there is no way out. Because it looks like a bright, clear sky up above in this amphitheater area. Oh, yeah. It's just an il- the illusion. Yeah. So she hits like a, a, a wall that's like uh, transparent. And she's like, transparent? It's like, no, no, no. You have shelter come up behind her. You're actually underground. Uh, after which, Shaltier reveals her true form, which looks like a lamprey, and kills her. Mara and Aura later travel to the Baha Ruth Empire. At the, this is like the ending credits part of the, the episode. Where they confront, uh, confront Emperor Jerkneve by sending the workers into the tomb and demanding that he atone for this crime. So basically it was a way to, to play it off on the Emperor, making it look like it was his idea. I knew he had a fucking plan. <laughs> I knew it was something weird and devious thinking someone was planning. Yeah. Uh, next up we have uh, War of Words. Is the title of the episode. Let's those. So we open up with Emperor Jerkneve traveling to Nazarek to apologize for the invasion of it. <laughs> and is immediately given a show of Nazarek's power whenever they use tier six magic easily to clear the skies. For this press pad, we shall take your boss. Now you can leave. <laughs> they just give <laughs> balls. Just none at all. I'm like, damn. <laughs> and they use Death Knights, the monsters capable of slaughtering armies from menial tasks like setting up tables. With orange juice on it. And let me say, I've been drinking so much goddamn orange juice since I got the cold. <laughs> like, and every bottle says it's two, two full oranges. So I've just been drinking like eight orange, like eight oranges in one day. <laughs> just down on that shit. <laughs> I's further. And they, they give you, they have these pills at the general store. They're like the size of your throat. <laughs> and you swallow these with water. I'm like, I, I got no other choice. If I swallow them dry, I'll die. You're talking about the round ones, right? They are round as fuck, and they're just like the actual size on the on the picture. They're like the big as your fucking fist. You know those are true war, right? No, they're the like the solid, uh, like blue, like just like a brick. And like I wouldn't chew these at all. Look, <laughs> it's like those those clear ones, like the ones with gel, but like the, the gels like uh, are, no, I'm like I ain't chewing that. Okay, yeah, I'm thinking of the powdery ones. No, so no, I wouldn't chew those either. That shit tastes disgusting. Tastes like medicine. The medicine tastes like medicine. <laughs> Who would have thought? But man, these are like, I, I bought these pills up the size of your fucking knuckles. <laughs> All right, so we have Ions further showing off his power when he is given the head of the noble from Jerkneve, who is responsible for sending the workers in the first place. Uh, like, uh, his, like his facade is like, thank you, but in my like human, like, what the fuck? Well, no, he turns that into a death knight. So he drops it and uses it as the the basis for another dead knight. I know, like, that's, like, his, like, evil persona, right? Yeah. But my human world might be like, oh, my fucking, that's a dead, that's a fucking head. You know what I mean? Like, like my monologue, oh, my, that's a fucking skull. Just a head in the jar. Like, there's just a head, like, the, the intros are dropping from the bottom of his stomach. <laughs> and his mind is throwing up. Right. Like, you know, like, oh, I accept this gift. Yes, gift, thank you. <laughs> They, they, you, gotta, you gotta make me the English translator out to be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to definitely watch all these episodes, though. Um, Ainz <laughs> uh, reveals his intention to crush anyone who would dare go against him at this point and restore peace to his surroundings because he says, we have lived in peace and you have sent these workers to my doorstep, huh? Even though he, this was the whole point of everything anyway. Yes. So that way they had a reason. 
and Jerkneve uh, extends an offer as friendship to protect the ballroom. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> While suggesting that Nazarite establish a proper kingdom, but secretly intends to set up an alliance behind his back in order to defeat him. So he's like, yes, yes, uh, yes, start start your own nation. Start your own nation. You should become a, a, a nation and we'll, we'll be an alliance. And like, and then he leaves like, fuck you, you saw a bitch. Yeah, that's kind of how it went over. Yeah. Uh, however, Demiurge has already figured out the emperor's plans to begin with. And yeah, I feel like, that's like if I was, I was in, what's his name? Uh, the, the leader? Uh, Isles and Gone? I can't remember. Einzelgon. Einzelgon. I'm like, uh, Demiurge. Like, uh, as as I have also figured out their plan, but why don't you tell me what the, your few things, like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's what happened. No, I was thinking pretty much the same thing. It's exact, it's the exact same thing. Because he reveals it to he reveals the plan that he has foreseen <laughs> to Heinz and the other NPC. And I'd be like, oh yes, that's exactly what I figured out as well myself. Where he's like, yes, because uh, Demiurge's whole thing is he's like, uh, smart people are easier to read than dumb people. So you can know where they're going to go on certain things because they have so much confidence in their abilities that they're always going to go down certain paths. So he's already figured out their ideas. And what they're going to do. Huh. Because he's even higher. I'd like to see him fight the Joker. <laughs> uh, to be honest, if we were going off of anime, uh, Demiurge and, like, comic book Joker, Demiurge wins. Hmm. Like, Demiurge is, like, evil upon evil. It's a Joker, though. I I, I would not. Demiurge like, damn, you, you evil as fuck, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Jerkneve realizes that Fluter Paradigm, the, the mage that he has, has actually been working with Eind the entire time and has betrayed him. This is confirmed in a flashback where Eind has revealed his true power to Fluter, who in turn pledges his undying loyalty to Eind in exchange for giving Fluter the opportunity to peer into the abyss of magic. To the abyss. So whenever he, uh, whenever the, the swords of, uh, not the swords of, but uh, darkness the group with uh, Momon and Nabe went to the Baharuth Empire and requested a meeting with Fluter Paradigm, which was in the previous episode, or uh, a couple of episodes back. Um, he revealed his true nature to Fluter Paradigm, where he was still in his raven black armor, but he took off the armor of his hand where it was skeleton hand. Look upon me. And he's like, oh, yes. God. Yes, he's like, and he says, what will you give me in return? And you have Fluter Paradigm. Everything. <laughs> so then we go into episode 11, which is called Another Battle. Super descriptive here. <laughs> At least they're simple. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, did I bypass one? Yes. Night. Uh, at 10, sorry. 10. Yeah. Preparation for War. There you title of it. Cause of then, then it's battle. It's been another battle, yeah. So preparation for war. Ainz establishes the Sorcerer Kingdom of Nazarik and demands that the Riestes Kingdom, which uh, that they're in right now with like Gazif and all those main characters that we've already met, well. uh, withdraw from the lands around Erantel, claiming they belong to the Sorcerer Kingdom. And the Baharuth Empire backs him in this because, of course, they're trying to pretend like they're friends with him. <laughs> I just imagine the, the, the guy from Baharuth just, every time Ives looks at him right, he just like always thumbs up. But, yeah, basically. but then when he turns out, he flips well. <laughs> That's kind of how it is, though. Uh, Gazif requests the, uh, the king to do what Ainz asks, claiming fighting Ainz would be a terrible idea, since Gazif, the, the head warrior, has already met Ainz and seen what he can do, basically. 
But the king refuses, as doing so would be a sign of weakness, and he cannot afford to show weakness when the royal faction in the Reestes kingdom has already begun to grow in strength after the Yaldabaoth incident, which happened last season. Yeah, but I'll cut my dick off if I show any weakness. <laughs> Marcus Raven agrees with this plan and path, and is set up as commander for the war. Crown Prince Barbaro, the one that was in with the uh, the Eight Fingers at last season, where you found out that he had all these strings in the underworld too. <laughs> the, this prince is eager to prove himself and tries to join in, but instead is sent to Carne Village, where Neferia and all the like, where we were at a couple of episodes back, uh, to question the villagers about Ainz. Barbaro decides to draft the villagers once he has questioned them in order to use them as hostages against Ainz. This is his plan, anyway. That he's going to go to Carne Village and force them to to basically be their slaves and use them as a, a shield against Ainz as hit their hostages. Does he even care? Ainz? Uh, about everybody else in the village? No. Just about those, uh, technically four people now. So you have Neferia, Enri, Enri's little sister, and uh, uh, Neferia's grandmother. Hmm. Those are the only ones that he really cares about if they live or die. Uh, Ainz arrives at the Baruth Empire, uh, their army camp, before summoning his army of Death Knights through a gate. So he comes to this, uh, they, they go to this, um, like the, the, the gathering of the Baharuth army's troops within like the, their little fence and their tents that they have set up in preparation for war, their annual war with the Riestes kingdom. And he's like, oh, can I bring my army? And they're like, yeah, sure, sure. He's like, he tells Shaltier to open up the gate, and it's just this massive line of death knights that walk through, each one capable of destroying a town. Hmm. And then they're like, oh, fuck, we let him bring this? <laughs> like, the looks on their faces, like, oh, shit. <laughs> so then we go into episode 11, another battle. Barbaro's army arrives at Carnia Village at this point, and Enri, the new chief, struggles to delay them and hide the goblins and ogres. Barbaro has a watchtower burnt down as a uh, as a threat, saying, "If you don't open up the gates, every it, like everything after this is going to be you dying." So he burnt down their little watchtower. But the action only reminds the villagers of the incident Ayn saved them from in the first episodes, inspiring the villagers to take up arms against Barbaro for Ayn's. Lupus Regina watches the incident unfold and is broadcasting everything that she sees to Ayn's through telecommunication. Uh, Enri and Nefiria decide to lead the women and children out the back, while the able-bodied men, goblins, and ogres act as distractions from the front of the village. The strategy seems to work, but the soldiers present at the back notice the fleeing villagers, and in an attempt to delay them, Enri blows the second goblin horn that Ainz had given her. Now this is where it gets extremely weird, because it shocks even Ainz whenever this happens. But somehow she summons not a small group of mercenary-like goblins, but an army of goblins 5,000 strong. Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> again, like, again, the horn is called the, gen uh, the, uh, the horn of the goblin general, I think. Mm -hmm. So if you meet special conditions, as like uh, how she's, she's given those uh, goblins that she's had, uh, that she summoned the first time, she's given them weapons, she's been extremely nice to them, she's given them names, like she's treated them as normal people. So since that's happened, she's basically become like a general almost. They leveled up, I guess. Or just um, I guess if we're talking about like terms of a video game, the specific like level requirements to actually use the full capabilities of the um, item. Yes. Okay. And Ainz didn't even know that that was going to happen when he gave them to her. 
She's like, because he's like, eh, it just summoned some low-level goblins nobody really cares about. My human translation. Because Eins is surprised, but he theorizes the theorizes that the horn, in fact, hides a true power that no one has been able to unlock in the Yggdrasil game itself. Right. Like, it's just something nobody paid too much attention to. Because it's like one of those throwaway things that you get during those, like, uh, special events and stuff. I wish secret games were... I see, I wish there were secrets like that in games now, but all the fucking uh, programmers, they just... They, they sift through the, the source code yeah. of the game and they find I, everything. Yeah. Man. It, it's kind of annoying sometimes. There's no secrets anymore. No. Like, imagine finding a secret boss in Dark Souls or something no one's ever fought with. I know, it'd be really cool. But you, you, you could because they already... I think the code says that... There is gonna, no... Like, like, you even know whenever they're going to add DLCs and shit. Oh, they left this patch open for this. Yeah. So I'm like, man, that takes the mystery out of it. Yeah, it does. So then you have Henry uh, somehow unlocking this, uh, unlocking these special conditions. The Goblin Army proves to be more than a match for Barbaro's conscripts and sends them running, saving the village. Later, Barbaro's army is surrounded by level 41 redcaps. There are these goblins that were... Literally red caps, <laughs> but they're like a—they're assa- not assassins, but they're like um, the Don't highest hunt? level. Yeah, special forces, like the highest level goblin you could possibly find. Um, and Lupus Regina, who reveals her intentions of massacring Barbaro's remaining army and himself. Barbaro attempts to bargain, pointing out that he is the crown prince, but Lupus Regina is unconcerned, pointing out that he is not necessary for Ainz's plans anymore. With that weird smile, and she just kills him. Damn. That's how the episode ends, too, is that you just see him die. Just don't kill me, please. <laughs> He's begging and crying. And, uh, next episode is called Massacre. Huh. It went from a, an assembly of war to a battle to a massacre. <laughs> yes. We're at a massacre now. So we have Jerknev reveals to his advisors that he plans to have Ions cast the first stone in the upcoming war. In order to truly gauge his strength and to reveal the threat he poses to the world, hoping to use that and have the Riestes kingdom realize the necessity of an alliance. The Bahurus Empire is 60,000 strong army, consists of well-trained knights, while the kingdom's army is 240,000 strong, but consists mainly of average people, conscripts over trained soldiers. Well, that's the worst. Yes. So you have Gazif and uh, Marquis Raven at the front lines. And Gazif has been given the four treasures of the kingdom, which are the uh, basically the armor and then a sword called Razor's Edge. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, adamantite armor, which is like highest tier armor that this world has. It's not a world-class item or anything like that. Just like one of the highest they can get. Uh, and a magic sword called Razor's Edge that can cut through basically anything like butter. That's what they say. Uh, gauntlets of endurance that provide endless stamina and the amulet of immortality that provides regeneration. Those are the four... Endless stamina, huh? Yeah. <laughs> A man who loves fucking couldn't really use that. <laughs> so you have Ainz. He approaches the front lines with his army of death knights, but he proceeds to cast a super tier spell. Whenever he goes to go cast it, he's like, oh... So there are no other players here because whenever you cast super tier magic, you're the first one targeted. So it was a way to 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 root out any players that would have been in this world at this point because most of the players would automatically go for him and they didn't. Hmm. So he uh, he casts <laughs> this spell. Uh, Is it just a giant fist coming down, cracking everybody? Yeah. Well. Uh, so he goes to go cast a spell, and on realizing the the danger that Ainz poses, Marquis Raven and Gazif attempt to issue an order of retreat, but fails to do so in time. 
So they see this gigantic spill go into the sky with bright white light before the spills even cast completely. And they, you got Marquis Raven again. It's like, oh, fuck, we're, we're done for. Retreat, retreat. And they have 240,000 people. I was like, fuck this shit. <laughs> we're gone. So <laughs> uh, the left flank of the knight's army, uh, sorry, the kingdom's army, consists of 70,000 men. They all charge as Ions cast a spell. Um, it's called... Uh, Blashub Negurath was the name of the spell. <laughs> and then translate for you done fucked up. <laughs> Which slaughters the entire left flank of 70,000 Rand, huh? And proceeds to sacrifice them to summon five massive monsters called the Dark Young, which are like these goats that he calls baby goats with gigantic mouths. Like a metal band. <laughs> the Dark Young. Yes. Who he directs towards the kingdom's army to literally crush them underfoot. Because they're gigantic. And he said he wants them all to clap because he's uh, set a new record after the game that the most that anybody has ever uh, summoned before was three. And he summoned five. He's like, clap for my greatness. One of his minions like, why are we clapping for? <laughs> well, all the people like uh, that are part of the uh, the Baharuth Empire, they're like, <laughs> oh, they're clapping real fast and they just start scattering. <laughs> So you have uh, Gazif attempts to fight back <laughs> against these goats, these uh, the dark young, but the dark young proved to be to be way too unstoppable. Until Ions walks onto the battlefield and approaches Gazif directly and asks him to become his sub a subordinate in exchange for calling off the dark young. Gazif refuses, even as Ions until uh, tries to goad him into it. And just as Ions is about to continue the massacre, Gazif challenges Ions to a duel. Hi, summon. Fuck, agree. What if I just had like a deck of like fifty plus? That's all. One one full turn, and I lose the next turn because I can't summon another card. Pretty much, yeah. There's nothing to do. So then we go into the final episode of the season, which is called PVP. Player versus player. But he's not a player, is he? No, but he's teaching them how to be a player versus player. So you have Gazov challenging Ainz, despite knowing that he has no chance of winning. <laughs> Why we just poked him in the eye? I was like, Ainz like, oh, fuck, bro. You <laughs> thought that would be funny. Uh, and Ainz accepts the duel. Before fighting, Ainz examines Gazov's sword to reveal that he has unknown properties, and despite being imbued with lesser amounts of mana, it is able to harm him and possibly kill him. He got, he got three levels of mana. <laughs> so he basically tells Gazov, this sword could kill me. And he just fucking swinging. <laughs> I should probably should have told you that. Well, I don't think he really cares too much. Uh, the duel begins. Uh, Climb, which is the uh, the retainer for uh, the princess, Rainier, uh, is asked to, to be the starter of the duel and asks if he can use a magic bell as the sign to start. Ions agrees. As soon as Climb rings the bell, Ions casts, he casts time stop magic. So it's nothing going on, just him moving. Just Ainz alone. He uses an instant death spell to kill Gazif during the stopped time. He calls off the Dark Young afterwards out of respect for Gazif, but warns Brain that if the kingdom refuses to surrender, then there will be a rampage through the capital. So basically, from uh, Brain Unglosses, which is the guy that ran from Shaltier, uh -huh. and Climb, the retainer for Rainier, when you have them witnessing the fight between Gazif and Einzel Gon in this duel, it literally happens in a blink of an eye. Hmm. And it's, it, Gazif is dead. 
So one minute he's standing, and the next he's hunched over, <laughs> over uh, the arm of uh, Einzel Gone, because he caught him from actually falling. Playing hot you boo, don't you worry. <laughs> so it, to, it, to them, it just happened instantaneously. But to Einz, he stopped time and killed him like within 45 hours later. <laughs> For fun. I'm just, you're dead now. So, uh, <laughs> he, uh, Kniv, at this point, the emperor, he is informed about Einz's power, much to his horror. He's like, oh, fuck, 70,000 people. He's like, oh, I thought it was going to be like five. Fuck. <laughs> like, he's about to have a heart attack. <laughs> he can't deal with it. Uh, the king and the nobles of the kingdom at this point are terrified as a result and have no choice but to give up Irantel as per Ainz's demands. So he eventually gets Irantel anyway. Brain and Klein believe that Gazif's useless attempt to fight Ainz was a way to help them learn more about him, to set up their defenses, and Brain vows to become better than Gazif. Where he's like, oh, you, you died before we could fight again, huh, bro? He's <laughs> like, okay. He's like, hey, I'm not going to let you go out that way. I'll get stronger than you. Then you have Ainz, he arrives in the Rantel in a large procession, but all the people hide inside out of fear because they see this gigantic army of just undead walking into Rantel. I imagine they, <laughs> they're running too, right? Right. And then, like, there's no noise in the town. You see, like, a, a, like boo, who said that? Like, boo. And Ainz like, who go, go. <laughs> well, we don't have booze, but we do have this. A child attempts to throw a rock at Ainz. Like, you ain't you little motherfucker. But, but the sign of dis disrespect, <laughs> the sign of disrespect has Albedo attempt to execute him right then and there. So Albedo brings out this gigantic black axe and he's like, how dare you throw a rock? He's getting ready to behead the little kid. And it does like two, it's like the, the, the rock did like five uh, points of damage. I was like, ow. <laughs> God dang. But the kid is saved by Momon. Momon appears. The, the Black Raven Knight. Momon played by Pandora's actor, is enlisted by Ainz to uh, act as a city representative and law enforcer. This is revealed uh, to be part of Demiurge's plan in order to find and kill any enemies in the that the humans will rally under Momon, while Momon serves Ainz. So he uses that doppelganger to imitate yeah, and, and like uh, or his counterpart, I guess, yes. in their, uh, the town. Or so that way they're seen together. Yeah. But they're it, not, like, connected. Yes, exactly. The Guardians once more, uh, they once more pledge their fidelity to Ainz as the Sorcerer King at this point, and he declares it to be the uh, founding of the Sorcerer Kingdom. Because he asks them, so, I'm king now of this kingdom, what should I be called? And they start, ra like, randomly coming up with different names for him, the Floor Guardians. So, like, you have one of them saying, Beautiful King, and then another one, Warrior King. <laughs> Which, of course, is Kokaitis, uh, since he's a warrior. Or, no, sorry, uh, he's the one that comes up with uh, Sorcerer King, which makes the most sense because he says, uh, it's like, we shall name you Sorcerer King since you use magic. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So he's done double bricks, but he got the right name. Exactly. But the rest of it's like, ah, the beautiful king. It's like, what the fuck? Gracious king. Like, just random shit that nobody cares about. But the one that's like all warrior and strafeful. Sorcerer King. I wish, like, if it was me, I would have had a character that was a counterbalance uh, to me. Yeah. But you know how like, they're all super loyal, right? Yes. Uh, I have a character that's loyal but honest. So they're all saying, like, beautiful king, sorcerer king. I'm like, well, you're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one that does talk to him, kind of like that is Pandora's actor. 
where Pandora's actor actually questions him and wants to know more. Since Ainz created him as the NPC in that uh, the game of Idrazil, mm-hmm. that was the only character that Ainz had actually created. So as uh, his creation, he does ask him questions. He's the one that also addresses like a Nazi general. So uh, it's always your, it's always your child that questions you. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But that is how we actually end uh, season three. With Nazis? Well, with the Nazi character playing uh, playing uh, Momon, yes. Has a, is is the series over? One more season. But I mean, like, is the series over or? No, it's still being written. Huh? Oh, still, it's light novels mostly. Light novels, huh? Mm-hmm. What's the difference from uh, novels? Uh, light novels are not as, so it's not like a Harry Potter thick book. So Harry Potter 4, that was a thick bitch. Jesus. <laughs> that was a thick bitch <laughs> with three C's. <laughs> <laughs> I think we actually three C's on each like one, two, and three, right? But then four came out. I was like, that's a big girl right there. <laughs> but any questions or anything about it? Uh when when can I uh debut my uh my dumb version of <laughs> Hey, we can do that. Oh man. We can do voiceovers, that's cool. I'll show you the anime and then you can do your voiceovers for it. <laughs> but we will talk to you guys on the next one. Adios.